0: Welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. I am Pittsburgh Current editor and publisher, Charlie Dietsch. Uh This week, our cannabis issue is on the stands, and uh, that's actually our topic of conversation today. My co-host today is Pittsburgh Current political columnist, Ariana Behringer. Ariana, thanks for coming in today. Yeah. She has a great piece in this week's issue about the effects that her father's 1991 marijuana conviction had on her family. Our guests, our other two guests, are two men who have been working for some time on bringing full marijuana legalization to the state of Pennsylvania. They're state rep Ed Ganey and state rep Jake Wheatley. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Earlier this year, uh, you guys introduced legislation that would make the recreational use of marijuana legal, but would also expunge the records of those already convicted of uh, marijuana-related crimes. Um, why do you think now is the right time? Is now the right time for this legislation and why?
1: Well yeah, I so I'm state representative Jake Wheatley and I thank you for having us on. Absolutely. Um <clears throat> clearly we think it's past the time to yeah. do something about this um this issue. I mean, for one, it never should have been a illegal substance and in, in my opinion, um it was a failed um war on drug policy. Uh it's ruined more lives than it than it has saved. And with the Auditor General coming out last year with his report about the possible economic benefits of it. With two years ago us passing a uh, mer- uh, uh, legal medical cannabis um, bill, uh, I think it's uh, past the time to stop punishing people for something that is now being legal and people are making money on it.
2: Right. Um, for me, it's simple. It's just about how do we move humanity forward. And like I share with my colleagues in Harrisburg, <clears throat> if you can tell me a time in American history or world history where people didn't get high, then I could be against decriminalization and legalization. Right. But if you can't tell me a time in American history where people didn't get high, then it's kind of difficult for me to understand why we've incarcerated generations and generations over something that's been here since the beginning of time and has been used since the beginning of time. And I think Representative Wheatley brings up a great point when he says that we shouldn't be sending people to jail. So let's talk about deregulation and what deregulation has done. To me, deregulation has birthed two twins, a set of twins. The 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 first twin is... We have more drugs on our street than ever before, mm-hmm. even as we fight a war on drugs. We spent over billions and billions of dollars in 50 years to fight a war where we just got more drugs on our street. corfetinol, fentanyl, ecstasy, synthetic, mar- synthetic marijuana, more drugs. But we spent all that money to fight a war on drugs mm-hmm. that we never mm-hmm. fought. The other birth that it gave is it gave a birth to more homicides, more suicides, more overdose. So what has deregulation done to really save lives? We know that in Colorado, where they got full legalization, we have a 25% decrease in opioid use. We know that we have less interference between police community relations. There's evidence out there that if we do it the right way, we can improve all lives. And in that, we improve humanity.
0: Absolutely. And I think that the one thing that where I want to start is with <clears throat> incarceration of individuals. So I've, I've been doing this probably 25 years now. And I started off as a, I covered federal courts for a lot of years in both in South Louisiana and then here in Western Pennsylvania. Hmm. I think a lot of people can't wrap their minds around when, when they, when you tell them about the, the types of marijuana sentences that people were getting in federal court, particularly in the 1990s, it was insane. And, and, and I, I know that that's hard, you know um, that's hard for, uh, well, let's be honest. It's hard for white America to, 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 see that. It's hard for white America to, to kind of fathom that, you know, uh, I, I kind of think I saw it with my own eyes and I know that's the kind of something you guys have seen um, in the communities that you represent. Um, talk a little bit about, about that and the onus of, 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 of making this. I mean, a lot of this, this has been marijuana has been a life sentence for a lot of people.
1: So so I will begin by just saying a little bit about the history. I mean I keep I try to go back to the early 1970s with Governor Schaefer uh, who was then um form, the former governor of Pennsylvania who was asked by Nixon to be the leader or head of a commission to look at the impacts of marijuana and uh, if it if it's a harming society. Yeah. And when he came back with a report that basically said to the, generals, the, the Congress as well as Nixon, hey, marijuana should be treated like alcohol. It should not be right. an illegal um, substance. It should be treated as we do alcohol. And if you're trying to change people's, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, habits of using it, then what we what we should do is really uh, try to use a social remedy, a social remedy to address that. Uh, and what Nixon did was use that as a, uh, instead of taking the recommendations from this commission, he used it as a way to target certain communities. Mm -hmm. So really he criminalized something that really shouldn't have been criminalized. And why I say that is because if you look at what's happening since then, black and brown people have been the ones that have been overly negatively impacted by this, uh, policy. And if we really want to talk about, um, you know, changing some things, we need to address the fact that this was, this was targeted to really try to harm black and brown communities.
0: And, and what, were this, what were some of the um, – actually, this might be a, a great time. Ariana, as I said, Ariana wrote um, a piece this week, and it was uh, um, simply titled the, the Date of Her Father's Arrest, kind of yeah. a date, I think, to change, to change your life and your life and your family. Um, explain a little bit about the, about the, the situation in your family.
3: So uh, it, I was nine. And I remember, you know, I write in a piece this week that my mom had just gotten home. And when we arrived, there were like five cop cars already in our driveway. Uh, all of us kids were in the backseat of the car. And they had my dad in handcuffs standing by one of the police cars. And our stuff was just like all over the front yard. I remember like the I played the flute in the elementary school band. They had my flute in the yard. Like those – there's like little things that I remember that was really – uh, hard for me to see this happen, and I remember him looking at me as they were pushing him in the back of this police car, and like he was ashamed, he was embarrassed. I'm going to probably tear up um, because I rem- I remember that it impacted his rest of his life. Right? He, I remember going seeing him in prison, visiting him in prison, and like the ordeal it took to actually even. Go to jail to see him and talk to him behind glass, and he hated that we went there because he didn't want us to see him that way. Right. And then when he got out of prison, you know, now he's got a felony conviction. He couldn't get a really good job. Um, he was wor- working like maintenance in hotels and you know odd jobs for folks. Um, he had a hard time. Like he's a hunter. He's like you know he he wanted. To, get a gun to go hunt. You can't do that if you have a felony conviction. Um, so there was all of these little things that happened. He couldn't you know, rent a house in his name anymore. Like It had to be in my mom's name only. And eventually they divorced because it was just like he was not contributing enough to the family. It caused them to fight. And so I just saw this progression in his life degrade over marijuana. And I, as I write in the piece, like I, initially I wasn't for legalization. I was not. Because I saw, I couldn't think, like I couldn't fathom how something that happened to my family and, and it was so bad, like it tore our family apart. How is that good for anybody? Mm-hmm. And then I had a conversation with Darren and he said, hold on, wait a minute. Let's actually talk about the, the, this wasn't the use of marijuana that caused the problem. It was the fact that your dad went to prison for using marijuana. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I, my, attitude and my understanding, especially in the nineties when it was, you know, black and Brown men Mm -hmm. getting arrested while white people weren't, you know, my mom didn't get arrested. She used it too. Right. And so, I mean, I think those are the things that we, in in your bill, Jake, I representative Wheatley, I think that when you mention in there that there is expungement possibilities for convictions. Are those both misdemeanors and felony convictions have been thought through a little bit?
1: Yeah. So we, um, what's in the bill currently, which we're, we're in the process of changing. Um, When we introduced the bill last session, we wanted to get something out there to start the conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, what it did was actually helped educate us too around some of the holes and gaps that Mm -hmm. we had in our bill. Um, And so we are learning constantly some new things. So first in the bill, what we have right now, House Bill 50, uh, there is a home cultivation component. What is, uh, and it's six plants, three following at any one time. Uh, Whatever that weight um, component is, is what would uh, initially allow for expungement or um, for you to get your records clean. What we're going to change it to though, because we see in different states like Michigan, Is any uh, marijuana cannabis related um, charge, uh, as long as it didn't involve any violence, Mm -hmm. would be uh, expunged, would um, immediately return your license to you, professional license or your driver's license. Because what we also know is a lot of people have been impacted by being caught smoking or possessing, Mm -hmm. but it had no nothing to do with driving but lost their abilities to drive mm-hmm. because of this um, failed policy. And so we are going to change to that because we, we, we realize and the other component of it, uh, if you've had one of these charges that are marijuana related, then it shouldn't prevent you from working in the industry now that it's legal. Right. And we want to change that too. Right. That's true.
2: Yeah, there's no question about it. I think that, listen, you know, here's what I tell people. I talked to several officers and they say, you know, Ed, you know, um You know, we're we're still on the fence about some things because in my community, if you get caught with a joint or you get caught with something, we just take you home. I said, Jay, I said, well, I would explain the numbers that four times the amount of African-Americans and Latinos get arrested more than white people. Mm -hmm. I said, because in urban areas, that's not what happens. That's not what happens at all. What happens is that you go downtown and you get booked in your finger. I said, so that's an institutional part of racism that we got to deal with. And now that you see exactly what I'm talking about, you know, all you got to do is look at the jail cells. Then if you talk about your father, the fact that he got to come out of jail with a felony or misdemeanor, mm-hmm. and now he can't get housing, he can't get an appointment, or he can't get a good job. All you did was recreate a, recreate, create a revolving door. And the other thing that we've done, and this is the sad thing about it, is that we've made drug, we've glorified drug dealing. Because the fact that you've made it illegal so long, sometimes these kids grow up environments where their father or their grandfather, they're known for what they've done in the streets. That's just the reality of our community. They're known for what they've done in the streets. So you end up following in that same pattern. I mean, there's stories and stories of that. So we've destroyed generation after generation after generation on something that shouldn't have been illegal in the first place. There's no way that you can incarcerate your way out of addiction, and there's no way that you can stop people from using drugs. So the put people in the penitentiary just for the use of drugs doesn't make any sense to me yeah. and if we're going to have compliance across the state that's why you heard me say earlier if you're going to have compliance across the state we need a derail, we need a decriminalization law right now we need legalization yesterday, but we also need decrim if we can't get legalization right now mm-hmm. because there's no way that in one, one, one municipality you're good and the other municipality you got to go to jail and the laws are different. If we want uniformity across the state, then we got to stand for something. So right now you got me and Jake pushing both bills. We're going to get it done. You can't continue. No. And here's the problem, and this is what I tell my Republican colleagues. Do you want to be dictated to or do you want to be innovative? See, we can be dictated to and wait for the federal government to come and tell us what we can do. And now we got to adhere to what they do. Mm -hmm. Or we can be innovative and create a program like Jake's talking about for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that address our population. So to me, you want to be a leader, not a follower. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to be the leaders, then let's get to the table and discuss, one, decriminalization and what we got to do and how we can profit, not only financially, but from a human standpoint and making sure that we restore life and making sure that we're getting funding so that we can fund rehabilitation in a meaningful way.
0: How do we make decriminalization really work? Because we know the city of Pittsburgh has decriminalization, and we also know that marijuana arrests uh, were still happening at a a high level. And again, we still had that disparity of three or four times more African-Americans were still being charged with, with, with marijuana possession. So how do we make decriminalization work? Let's take as the first step, if we say let's at least get it decriminalized. How do you make sure that you've got police officers, you've got departments across the state, um, maybe some of our, you know, our central PA brethren? How do you make sure that they're going to that they're going to follow that standard?
1: So so I would I would first say um, training, making sure everyone understands, because I think with the change in the law, it was still uh, relatively new to our law enforcement uh, personnel from a medical, even with medical. Um, from our legal personnel. So I think we need to train, educate. Uh, one of the things that I'm learning uh, in this um, process of trying to get adult use um, legalized, we really need to have a component of mass education marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so so everyone can kind of bring the hysterical natures down. And I think that's, that's going to be the first level. Um, but decrim, I mean, I think for the officers, uh, it's, it's really about training and educating.
2: I would agree. It's definitely about training and educating. And also, in addition to that, I do believe that a statewide law changes the game. So if we can introduce and we can pass a state law, then they, the, all officers know they got to get trained right. around that. That's number one. But when you have it piecemeal like we got it right now, then we're leaving it to that municipality in order to train the officers about what's going on. The example, Charlie, you use about... Pittsburgh is a great example, because at the end, that's a demonstration, as Wheatley was saying, saying, is that the training is not happening the way it should be happening. So what do we do about that? Right. That's the question. What do we do? I think that the advocacy, particularly someone especially like Pittsburgh Normal, needs to start having education conversations with law enforcement to talk about, hey, what's going on with the small amounts of marijuana? Why are people still being arrested? Let's look at it. And every quarter, we should have a re- an evaluation or a report that talks about have they went down or have they went up. If we as citizens don't, don't ask for or demand accountability, right. then it's not going to go nowhere. So education is critical, but also accountability. And we have auxiliary organizations that can do that. The key is putting them in place. Place to be able to perform to that measure that we want done.
3: So I'm curious though, when we talk about decriminalization, we talk about a legalization bill, but we have a Republican-controlled legislature, let's be honest, right? What what are you guys seeing in Harrisburg with regard to how are your Republican colleagues reacting to this? Are they getting on board? Are they you know, is this I know, Representative Wheatley, you had a bill before and nothing really happened. So how how do we or how do you and collectively advocates that are behind you in this make it something that can actually get brought up?
1: So I use a couple of examples. Um, nothing is ever impossible. When you have a committed uh, group of citizens who say they want this, you'll see change. When When we first start talking about medical marijuana. Uh, no one thought that was going to happen either, yeah. but when those moms and children and advocates start showing up each and every session, week,
2: sleeping in the, uh, hallway. Sleeping in the
1: hallway, it changed, uh, the environment. No one thought that we were going to get game, um, gambling. Yeah. Um, the gaming industry, when, when Rendell first came in, which was happens to be my first year, he talked about, uh, slots and people thought he was crazy. But because of revenue and because of the the budget situation, we were able to get that. And then from that, we ended up getting table games. And from that, sports betting. So, you know, uh, people never thought that we would ever see a day where the General Assembly would give back a pay raise. But uh, when we had a pay raise and the outcry from citizens was so great that within a year, we gave that back. Mm -hmm. So anything is possible when you have a united group of citizens who say it's time. And I think with what the lieutenant governor is doing, I have to take my head off to him. Um, going around to the various counties and talking to people, overwhelmingly what we're hearing is they want adult use mm-hmm. to be legal. They support medical marijuana. They have some concerns about how we're going to bring it on, and that's we want to encourage that conversation. So I think if the Republicans and the leaders in the Senate and the House really were uh, interested in what their citizens were saying, mm-hmm. we would have a, a very much an engaged conversation about legalization of adult um, use.
0: And you're listening to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. Uh, we're here with uh, state representatives Ed Ganey and Jake Wheatley. And my co-host today is Ariana Behringer, the political columnist for the Pittsburgh Current. Uh, I want to t- take just a minute to talk to you about Penn Future. Penn Future wants you to know that U.S. Steel's Clareton Coke Works has been contributing to the poor air quality in western Pennsylvania for more than a century. Currently, the Pittsburgh region's air quality is ranked eighth worst in the country. The facility's history of toxic pollution caused by a combination of age and its multiple failing components can no longer be addressed through bite-sized fixes. These five steps must be taken now. Make U.S. Steel accountable for pollution from its Claritin coke works that affects our air quality. U.S. Steel needs to retire the oldest, dirtiest, and most problematic batteries. U.S. Steel needs to modernize the plant to make sure there, there are Mon Valley jobs in the future. U.S. Steel must commit to public transparency, especially in cases of emergencies such as the Christmas Eve fire of uh, last year. This Earth Day, let your voice be heard. Sign the petition to U.S. Steel at ToxicNeighbor.org. It's time for U.S. Steel to invest in the Toxic Neighbor program by retiring the Clareton Coke Works oldest and most problematic batteries. Modernize the facility and commit to public transparency. Sign the petition, Penn Futures petition today at... Uh, toxicneighbor.org i knew i was going to mess that up I had to go back um <laughs> check that out toxicneighbor.org to sign the petition um, Ed, how much of this conversation you're having with with particularly your republican counterparts how much of it are you guys talking about the financial benefits that're going to come from legalization and taxation of marijuana
2: so we've had several i know i have several conversations with a mom I'm, I'm always engaging them because i think the time is now um and when I talk to them about the financial incentives and when I also talk about the human capacity, I always talk about, listen, as the United States of America, don't we want to do better for our citizens? Do you think that it's fair that four times African-Americans and Latinos are being locked up compared to white people? Do you feel that's fair? Do you feel that's destroying families? If you tell me you're the party of family values, don't you want to improve that? Isn't that important to you? Right. If we're talking about money and you don't want to tax us, you don't want to raise the PIT tax, you don't want to raise the sales tax, you don't want to raise the corporate net tax. If you really want to be fair, let's look at the tax that can bring in billions of dollars and how we can use it. Let's talk about how we can use it. Let's talk about education. Let's talk about rehabilitation. Let's talk about some meaningful things. We know that we have a homeless problem in the city of Pittsburgh and Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Can some of that money offset some of the housing programs that we have right now that we can use to invent a new program that helps the homeless. There's so much that can be done. I'm just pointing out a couple things. Yeah. but they have to understand. But the problem is if you live a lie your whole life, then that lie becomes your reality. And so if you have always said that marijuana is a gateway drug, if you have demonized it for so long, that's your belief system. But the reality is if we really look at it again, as I share with them, Tell me a time in American history where people didn't get high. Right. Tell me. Yeah. Because if you can't tell me, I can sit here and talk to you all day about how many people went to penitentiary, how many people have been died. We can talk about how Oliver North ran contraband throughout America. And next time and last time I checked, he president of NRA. <laughs> right. So at the end of the day, there are some components here that we have to look at to say, how do we create a better nation? And one way to create a better nation is to make sure not only do we decriminalize i want I want decriminalization because in other states that's what came first but let's look at the other states all we 're doing is looking at a trend of evolution that is happening, and it won 't be stopped you can't stop for all the time it 's not if marijuana is going to be legal it's when and that's why i'm trying to share with my colleagues. Let us plan our own future and not have it planned for us how much do you, How much time do you guys spend
0: talking to colleagues who are still uh, kind of spouting the same sort of debunked reefer madness nonsense that, that, you know, has been going on forever. How much time uh, are you at a level yet where you're able to have the conversation with these folks at sort of some level of understanding that marijuana is not, you know, (laughs) rat poison. Are you, do you still have to approach that with some people like that? You still fighting that sort of, like I said, that reefer madness mindset that they have.
1: Uh, so I'm going uh, to, I, I reached out recently to the chairwoman of the health um, committee, which is where mm-hmm. the adult use bill is going to be, or is currently. And her first thing to me was, I fully support medical, although she voted against it. Mm-hmm. I fully support medical now, um, but uh, adult use, legalization of adult use is a non-starter. I asked her, I said, why? She said, well, I think because if you look at different states, you see an increased use in teenage um, utilization, which the facts are, are, prove that is wrong. Second, uh, it's a gateway drug, which most of the research is coming out proving that is wrong. And third, that it leads to some type of psychosis, which also we're seeing that the early evidence of which is not um, proven factual. Uh, so when you ask that, I think that it, they're not hysterical. Right. But they still believe these concepts that are uh, being debunked um, over and over again. And a uh, matter of fact, I think if we're going to have this uh, really brought in for a Pennsylvania solution, we really welcome an open dialogue. We would love to have a hearing where we can have all the facts discussed and let's bring in experts from both sides so that Pennsylvanians can say, OK, you know what? I want to kind of have a middle ground to this. I want to figure out how we can make sure, because we believe if you make it legal, uh, adult use, we can do it like alcohol and make sure we have some type of enforcement around making sure underage people don't get it. Right. I think we can figure out the TAC levels. If we want to regulate the TAC level, which most believe what causes people to have that, you know, the high feeling, well, we can regulate it if it's a legal substance. Right now they're getting it illegally and they don't know what's in it. Right, so, right. I think if we get our head out of the sand and we start approaching this as uh, adults, I think we can get to a middle ground. Yeah.
0: If you guys played a drinking game in Harrisburg called Gateway Drug, every time you heard that, you had to take a drink. You'd go around drunk most days, right? <laughs> yeah, some of those people would stay drunk.
3: <laughs> so, uh, so, I'm curious, I mean, you talk a little bit about like a lot of the other states that have already legalized, mm-hmm. have they, have there been any, have you done any research to find out how they're ensuring that, you know, young adults are, you know, teenagers aren't getting it, the, how they're managing the processes. Is, is any of that open to you guys? Do you have any of that information? We've, I'm going,
1: we've been working very closely with groups that had, that worked in Colorado that are working or have worked in Illinois and Michigan, that are working in New York and New Jersey. So we've been getting a lot of that information. As a matter of fact, we're about to do our own poli- not policy hearing, but um, hearing to our members. We're gonna invite all the members, Republicans, Democrats, Senate, House, and we're gonna have them come and we're gonna have these experts kind of explain to them what they're seeing in these other states. And I know in April 29th, Ed and Senator Sharif Street they're doing a policy hearing, a joint policy hearing around decriminalization and adult use in Harrisburg. And again, we'll have a chance to engage the conversation.
2: And the key is, we, yeah, we have. So we've talked to several people. And, you know, there's really, when you really think about it, because the legalization is not even 10 years old, it's really difficult to get hard stats. People are throwing numbers around just to benefit their cause. Mm. Even in the House, we used to have a gentleman named Representative Matt Baker. <laughs> and we were going through, when we were going through the medical marijuana, he said he was against it because someone he knew had smoked a joint and the house fell out on him. And I said, "That <laughs> um, must have been some potent weed right there. Boy. I ain't never heard nothing like that in my whole life. But those are the ones that we're not going to be able to reach. Right. Because they've been inundated. It's not that they're uneducated. They've been miseducated. And because this is part of their belief value, you're not going to be able to change that. But I think there's enough in Harrisburg to see that there's a, that the time is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's enough evidence out there. The reality is, do we want to be a follower? Or do we want to be a leader? Right. And my whole thing. And when I talk to him is that, you know, like the, 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 the attitude, the environment is let's wait for the federal government to do it after the federal government do it. We good, <laughs> but the federal government, has not been able to regulate anything for every single state that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. We can do it right now. And the fact that we're looking for this magic bullet, this perfect piece of legislation, there's never been a piece of legislation that's been perfect. So we're not looking for what's perfect. The, the, The arguments we hear is, well, now you got more accidents, you know, more car accidents. Listen, I don't want nobody to be drunk and drive mm-hmm. be high and drive or anything else. That's a personal choice. And if they make that choice, then there should be penalties for it. Right. But that's not what we're discussing. We're discussing personal use in their home and that's and that they're not driving. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they can't lay out a single plan or a single way. When we talk about a gateway drug, We can't we can't look at nowhere and say, look, we've had one O.D. off of marijuana.
3: Right.
2: They can't they can't do that. So all the all the arguments is comes from miseducation. So we can lay out the facts all day. But some people will believe in what they believed in their whole life. And I'm glad I'm not one of those people. Because at the end of the day, we all can learn something every day.
3: Do you have a personal connection to it? I mean, I know both of you have been on the forefront, like out here being the tireless advocates. Is there, is there a reason why, like, is there something that in your past or in your family's past or something that caused you to go, you know what this, the time is now we have to do this or Mm -hmm. in your community.
1: So I'm going to tell you (laughs) up until uh, a few years ago, I was not for, um, adult use, um, legalization. And it wasn't until um two individuals kept being in my ear. One was a former staffer of mine, who was a good friend. Another is a barber, one of my barber, and they were kept telling me about the ill effects. Like, look, we you had all these young black and brown men out here getting pulled over and stopped, getting hurt by this issue, and y'all are, y'all hiding away in the stands, but it's out here, right? And um, so we started digging into it, researching it further and further. And then when the report came out about the potential $580 million and me being on the finance committee, I'm the Democratic chair of finance, and I'm looking at the books. And Pennsylvania is facing a structural deficit of over a billion dollars, and nobody wants to do broad-based tax. I said, "Look, look, at the very least. We should take a look at trying to legalize this. I mean, same way we did gambling, the same way we did medical marijuana. Isn't it worth a look and see if there are some benefits to it? See if we can regulate it. See if we can bring some revenue into it. And that's what really got me into it.
3: Okay.
2: For me, it's my community. You know, I'll be quite honest. I mean, you know, I went to Central Catholic for two years and I went to Peabody High School. I graduated. The thing that both of them got in common is people smoke weed. You know, but in my community... There's so many people that went to jail on the use of marijuana. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I just have never seen nobody extremely violent off weed. Mm-hmm. I've not seen people robbing people because they're using weed. Uh, matter of fact, I've seen it bring people together. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the truth. And so I, I never understood why we have to go to jail for that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're destroying lives. So in my community, I can name generations on generations whose lives have been destroyed. How could I be for something that I've watched devastate my community? I can't do that. I got friends that's been arrested, put in jail Mm -hmm. for selling and using. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, it's simple for me. It's, you know, free people. When you hear the fact that we go to jail four times quicker than white people go to jail. Come on. With the same utilization. With the same right. utilization. Right. Come on. Right. I mean, at what level, what more do we got to look at? You keep saying, yeah, we should all feel comfortable as being Americans, but at the end of the day, there's always something that reminds us that this system is not fair.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When I got elected, I didn't get elected to be a state rep. I got elected to move the crowd so that we can free communities. That's what we got elected to do. Mm-hmm. If you did it for a title, you comfortable with status quo. I'm not. I'm comfortable with making the changes that's necessary to free people.
0: I was actually going to do a little talk, but I I feel like that, I feel like that's a perfect segue. And um, I'll give you guys a chance if you want to talk a little bit more about at the end here. But there's, that leads us to a very important subject, I think, that I told you guys. I'm I sorry to spring on you, but I, I wanted to talk about because I know that uh, um, yesterday um, – there was um, there's a movement now, as as there should have been for a long time, about um, bills uh and Representative Weekly. I know for sure that you have you've sponsored one that will basically um, we're talking about the Antoine Rose situation, gunned down by a police officer, shot and killed, shot in the back and and, and killed unarmed, um, shot in the back, um, and there was a lot of outcry after that after that verdict, um, and now the state legis uh, members of the state legislature. Legislator is are trying to um, sort of clamp down on what is proper use of deadly force in the state. And I know there's a suite of bills, five bills, I believe. Yeah. Let's start with you, Representative Wheatley. I want to say I, I, I saw both of you gentlemen the night of Michael uh, um acquittal. And I, um, I, I spoke to you, Representative Ganey and Representative Wheatley. I, honestly, I, I don't want to tell stories out of school. You were inconsolable, quite frankly. I, I mean, you, 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 you left and walked away and it was – before we talk about the bills, how hard was that night for you, gentlemen? I know you've been through it before, but how hard was this
1: so i'm I'm about to tear up myself because um whenever we talk about this subject, it's very personal to me because yeah. for me, I got young kids, but I was one of those young kids who um whose family did everything they could for them, but I still found my way into s- situations and um i've seen too many of my friends and former friends you know fall victim not only to um, police violence, but violence with other um, young people. And so for me, it was very, and I was there really, because I wanted to make sure the community was safe. Like I didn't want them to be out in the streets and hiding emotions and and police heightened emotions and you know something else jump off yeah. so for me that's really what that was about and i i, I rarely want to talk in those situations because i try to be measured sure but i'm an emotional person too and sometimes that my emotion gets the best of me and i and i and so that's for me so those these bills are really they're not a bill, they're not anti-police for me they're really about how do we create a better environment because i have a little i have a son and two daughters and i fear for them when they in the car with me for something jumping off right Unfortunately, and they have to watch me get hurt, or I have to watch them get hurt from people who are supposed to be protecting us. And I'm not saying that's all of them, but if it happens one time, that's too many times. And so my bill that and Ed and Summer Lee, they have uh, uh, Representative Ganey and Representative Lee, they have a bill that addresses use of force directly. Mm-hmm. My bill addresses more um, certification and decertification, which is really a licensing process. Because yeah. if you are, have to get a license to be a barber or a license to be a doctor or a lawyer, why shouldn't you have to get a license to be a uh, law enforcement? Right. And then what are the standards by which we're going to make sure um, everyone who police in the Commonwealth uh, are held to? And what are the processes? Now, I'm just going to use this fight and then I'm going to let Ed talk about his bill. But uh, if you look across the Commonwealth, I mean, across the state, the country. I'm just use Georgia Ridge state. They've had in the last year, 562 decertifications of officers,
3: mm.
1: Pennsylvania over the last five years, over the last 10 years has, had, has last, has, has had less than 20. So something that's wrong in that system. Yeah. And that's not to say that you're supposed to have more, but you can't tell me most of the people who come into this industry, like they, come, like any other industry don't have people who make mistakes mm-hmm. or who don't pan out. Well, what do we do to make sure when they don't pan out or they make mistakes that there's somehow a level of accountability for the citizen? So that's what my bill is trying to get to.
2: Well, I want to thank all my colleagues, all of them, um, Representative Wheatley, Representative Lee, Representative Davis, Representative um, Harris, Representative Dawkins, Representative Brad, Representative Cephas Morgan. Uh, I want to thank all of them, Representative Joanna Joanna Mm -hmm. McClinton, Representative Bullock. Brian Sims, I want to thank all of them because I think it's a timely. It's, a, it's timely, like for me, when is enough enough? I mean, when is enough enough? Let's just go by what. Let's just go no further back than the fifties, right? Fifties, sixties. We've all seen pictures through the civil rights era of officers spraying down African Americans. Seventies, the whole drug war eighties, the whole crack epidemic, and the fact that it wasn't taken as a public health initiative, but it was taken as public safety, savages put them in jail. You know, we we've had this issue for quite some time. So when does enough become enough? So the night of Antoine Rose, yeah, it hurt it. It wasn't it wasn't like we expected a different outcome, though right. know, you was hoping for it, but you just say, wow, when when is enough enough? I mean, what can't this country see that is visible every day? When is enough enough? And I think that's where you, you see us coming from. We're not anti-police man. I listen. I got some police officers I would leave my children with and know that they would grow up to be wholesome and healthy, but there are some out there that really don't understand the community. I'll be quite frank. If you're bringing an officer down here from Danville PA who has never grown up around African-Americans or Latinos, he didn't learn it. In, he didn't learn it. In, he didn't learn it in school. Cause let's be honest. Majority of what we study from K through 12, whether you want to call it social studies, social science or history, we study European history. We really don't study American history. We don't study how whites, blacks, Latinos, Asian, Koreans, Chinese, all Jews all helped to build this great nation. So the only way you truly know me because you never studied me and the only only part that you did study was civil rights. That's why you will hear most Caucasians talk about Martin Luther King, but can't go back no further than that. So you've never studied me. And the only thing you know about me is what television has showed you who I am, which is a lie. You've been programmed to see me as violent. So when you become a cop and you in zone five and you got to go to home with, I don't know, since you only got the programming from television, are you here to protect me or what? Because you don't see me as nothing but violent. And we got to change that culture. And the use of force bill introduced by me and Summer Lee addresses that, how they can deescalate what they have to do before they can pull the trigger. Those are conversations that the cops should want to have because even if you ask certain cops off the record and I have, they'll say the Antoine Rose shooting was a bad shot. And so knowing that we should want to change that law. And as police officers understanding the olive branch and wanting to repair some of the public relations that's been damaged, you should be the first one at the table saying, how can we work together to ensure this level of death never happens again?
1: And That's I, the conversation. If I can just add in mm-hmm. something, if we looked at what happened in Antoine Rose II's case, um the officer didn't follow his training. That's right. Right. So even if he did even even if you you, you take out the fact that he murdered Antoine Rose, he should have something done for not following his, right. his That's training. Right. That's what decertification or certification it will build a system in to allocating Point allocate just like if you have a license. If I drive twenty miles over above the speed limit, they taking my they taking my license for a sure. period of time. And so this is what we're talking about. So so even if you don't believe that the actions of officers rise to a level of criminality, there still should be some level of of accountability in doing something that you shouldn't have done. Well,
2: that's and let's be, let's be. I'm sorry. No, let's be honest. The reason why we're on this too is because we understand the time. Right. Criminal justice is the new civil rights. Right. And if we don't address everything under this criminal justice, criminal justice umbrella, then we're not creating a better tomorrow. So when you say, Hey, well, when I said before, I'm, we moving things that improve humanity. This is one of those things. So when all those that want to paint us as we're anti-cops, we're not, we're not anti-cops because we're not, it would be like us saying that all cops are anti-community. We need the cops. Like the cops need community. But at some level, we have to have some understanding.
0: I was just, I was going to say that that you brought up an interesting point in that when you look back at cases like Leon Ford, uh, 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 the, the young man who was, who was beaten, Jordan Miles. Again, to me, these are open and shut cases, but at the very least, as far as we know as the public, and I know that there's a bill to. Um, to sort of keep to, to, to keep some of these records of police officer indiscretions uh, on the street to 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 make those things uh to keep those things and to make them uh, you can use them as further things happen or for punishment but there was there was no punishment there really there was there was nothing there really and so I think that that 's the problem i think the, the issues are that a police officer simply saying I felt for my life and again if you 're a white guy from you know from from somewhere up north. You could claim that just by, the, again, the fact that he ran. And that's ridiculous.
2: Let me use an example. Here's a guy he hates just to hates. Goes into a synagogue. Horrific, horrific crime. Shoots at police. Le- leaves there and handcuffs. Yeah. You got a gentleman running from the scene, unarmed. And got three in the back. If I say no more, that contrast is deep all by itself.
1: And what I would add is in our in our packet, we do have Representative uh, Chris Rabb out of Philadelphia. He has a bill that basically would um, create a database of um, officers records mm-hmm. that wouldn't necessarily be open to the public, but other departments could view it. And see that so Officer Rofel, who had gotten let go from University of Pittsburgh right. for having interactions with uh, the chancellor's son that was inappropriate, could go to a smaller township or borough and get hired right. without them really knowing. And part of the other um, issue with that is the part-time police departments, right? They they don't have the same right. a lot of amount of money to train or to hire these more professionalized officers, so they're taking. Um, officers and taking chances with officers who might have shoddy records so in our packet of suites of bills we're trying to deal with that as well we also have a bill that deals with the issue that even when cities and townships have have bona fide proven um, opportunities of misconduct and they fire officers because right. they can prove it. They go through arbitration and these officers get back on the, on the force. So we're trying to deal with the whole culture. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we call it the um, professionalism and community police relation package of bills because that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to reinstill a confidence in the community that somebody is holding everyone is accountable. There is some standards, there's some training, but it's not just about training and standards. It's also about how you create a culture and how you hold people accountable when they are given this um, authority over life and death. Right.
2: And, and, and one thing I want to say I, that I think is important, too, is that we need you. You know what I mean? This 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 is a human issue. And everybody should be up in arms about it. You know, we, we, we got to stop looking at what well, that's their problem. Nah, no, no. Because to be honest with you, man, whatever happens in this city, black people show up. You can guarantee that. Yep. Right. We show up. We need you. Now's the time to say, you know what? They have a record of being there for everybody else. It's time for us to be there for them because what we're asking is not extreme. We asking for a right to life. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that when you've seen the advocates, I mean, you gotta give a shout out to Brandy Fisher, to Summer Representative Lee, to um Nikki Joe, and all the rest of those advocates that was out there, no violence in the street. Right. The children that marched, and I marched with them that day, not nothing, no damage, no destruction. Just please hear us. And that's why the April 30th event is so strong to see. I'm What's taking April 30th a bus 30th up there. Air oh, the rally, the rally, um, the rally at the, the rally at the Capitol, the Antoine Rose rally at the Capitol. Uh, they got buses. I got a bus. Wheatley got, I mean, Representative Wheatley got a bus. We're taking children up there to be part of this. I've never seen so many children hurting. So many children wanting to get involved. When I say criminal justice is the new civil rights, I mean that. And that's why we need you. And we it's are taking to
1: donations to help us pay for the buses yeah, and uh, pay for the food. And anybody who would like to contribute, uh, please contact Ed Ganey or uh, Brandy, Brandy Fisher. Fisher. And I don't have their numbers offhand, but Ed's going to give you that.
2: Yeah, I, I don't have Brandy's <laughs> number. Brandy, you, if you listen, call in here with your number, Brandy.
0: <laughs> well, we will make sure that we post that. Uh, we'll post that with the uh, with the description. Um, Ed Ganey, Jake Wheatley, thank you so much. We could go another hour easy because – Jake, you brought about nine more topics I want to talk about. So maybe we'll have you back and uh, we'll go over this again. And um, thank you for coming. And thank you very much for listening to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. Uh, Thank you. Thank you you very much. And um, we'll have a great, have a great day. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast
2: Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.